Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, it's time to run and drive with the Game Changers. And this is where the best are. So thank you for joining us. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from McKinsey.com. Listen up. The potential value unlocked by AI, we all know by now that's artificial intelligence, in helping design out waste in a circular economy for food, for example, is up to $127 billion, billion with a B, $127 billion a year by 2030. And for consumer electronics, it's up to $90 billion a year by 2030. So what are we talking about today? As industrial manufacturers begin or continue to embrace innovative technologies, because many of them are already on board, important challenges are emerging. What role does a commitment to sustainability play in their business decisions, especially in the current business climate? This is now, oh my goodness, it's September 1st, 2020. We've been struggling with the pandemic for about six months now around the world. So the current business climate is a loaded statement. And a couple more questions. If they decide to contribute to the circular economy, how do they do it meaningfully, not just paying lip service to it? Because there's shareholders, their employees, their people around the world, their stockholders, if they're public, all want to know if you're going to do it, do you really mean it? And how do they ensure that they're using artificial intelligence applications ethically? There's a whole subset of discussion around the world on the ethics of AI. We have algorithms. We have people making decisions that impact all of us. Where are the ethics? And do we know what they are? And how do we adhere to them? We have three panelists today who are going to discuss these questions from multiple perspectives to help us discover the business case for embracing and embedding sustainable and ethical practices into the manufacturing process. You have to get your arms around that. There's a lot to think about and a lot to talk about. My special guests today are Lian Jia Sue, and he said to make life easy, he's going to let me call him LJ. So LJ, welcome. He's at ABI Research. We've had other panelists on Game Changers from ABI, and they're always wonderful. And LJ, we're so happy to have you. And welcoming back to Veterans of Game Changers Radio, we have Georg Kubi, and we have Elvira Wallace at SAP. And we're going to ask them for their take on manufacturing of the future, the central role of sustainability, AI, and ethics. This topic is so big, we could probably spend three or four hours discussing and debating it. Elvira is smiling. I'm on Zoom with my panelists, and it's wonderful to see them. I get to watch them think. You get to hear them think out loud. So welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. Shout out to two people in the background today who helped make this possible. We have Deborah Petrera from ABI Research. Thank you, Deborah, for coming here and welcoming, helping us welcome LJ. And we also have Judy Cubis at SAP, who is the sponsor of this long-running series that used to be called the future of cars. Now it's the future of mobility and manufacturing. So let's go around the table. LJ, welcome. And officially, would you please introduce yourself to everybody? Tell us a little bit about what you do and also what does this topic mean to you in terms of what's your passion for it? LJ, go ahead. Sure, Bonnie. Thank you very much for such a wonderful welcome. Uh, my name is LJ. Um, I'm a principal analyst at ABI Research based in Singapore. 
and my primary coverage area is actually AI and robotics. Um, today, I think this topic actually struck me as an analyst really, really close to my heart because as, as an industry analyst, we constantly get asked by our client to decipher the trend to look at what are the emerging impacts of uh, a particular technology that's being implemented. And AI has always been such a um, hot topic among our client. And the, the way to look at AI, I think really starts from understanding what's the impact of AI. And obviously with that comes the question of how ethical that you're gonna implement it. And that's why the notion of AI ethics is such an important and critical discussion today. Um, one of the sort of um, the, the key element that I hope that this panel can cover is that uh, how we are going to ensure that uh, AI ethics can be implemented across the board. And uh, it will be a great session, I think, to discuss this. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you very much. And LJ, tell everybody where you are coming from today. Where are you right now? Uh, I'm based in Singapore right now, as always perpetually summer here. Um, but I think we all share and felt the uh, impact of COVID, mm -hmm. likewise in the US. So um, yeah, my heart extends to all those people who get who got affected by, by this pandemic. Thank you. Tell me one more thing, please. What time of day or night is it there? Come on, give me, give me what, <laughs> yeah. we, what we want to know. Where, what time is it? Right now it's 10 p.m. My time. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for sharing your evening with us. That's what I wanted to get no, to. No, it's do, my pleasure. Do have global panelists. Thank you, LJ, and welcome. Let's go to Georg. Georg, it's been not too long since we've met on Game Changers. So why don't you, in case there were 3.3 people around the world who don't remember you, shame on them. So why don't you reintroduce yourself mm -hmm. to them? Go ahead, Georg. Well, thank you very much, Bonnie, for having me again. And I assume there's probably more than 3.5 people <laughs> who don't remember, and there's probably a lot more. So uh, I'm Georg Kuban with SAP, and I get to run a very special role at SAP. I'm responsible for the industrial machinery and components industry on a global basis. And essentially what that means is I'm working with customers in that industry around the world on their business, what they do, how they adapt to what's what's going on to the trends and how they basically improve their business and transform it, and then take all that knowledge back to SAP and help our guys make the right decisions in building the right products, making the right strategic decisions on where as we as a company want to go. We actually do this for 25 industries. And as I said, I'm the one that runs the industrial machinery and components industries. Sustainability is a huge topic, not only for me personally, as somebody who has children who wants to see them thrive in this world long after we're gone and we want to see them having fresh air and green green meadows and all that but also because it's a big thing for my customers because they are all asked and i think we'll get into this much, with much more detail to contribute to sustainability goals that we have as you know as, as a global community that may be more formal in some areas than in others but we all have sustainability goals that we need to achieve and the industrial manufacturers are actually going to play a big part in achieving them. So this is why that is a big topic for me. Thank you very much, Georg. Pleasure to have you back. And I'm glad you mentioned the, the impact, the personal impact, if you will, on future generations of sustainability. It's not just a good thing to do. It's something that's important. So thank you, Elvira Wallace. So happy to have you back. I was delighted when they said you were invited to this panel. So maybe there are 
2.5 people who don't remember who you are. Mm -hmm. Oh, you have to remind them. Go ahead, Elvira. Welcome back. Happy to be on the show again, Bonnie. Um, what a pleasure. So my name is Elvira Wallace, and I'm running Internet of Things and Edge Computing at SAP. And that means every day I um, get to see fascinating use cases, fascinating ways of how people use real-world data coming from sensors, coming from devices, coming from machines, interacting with business data and getting more insight, right? More visibility, more efficiency, more effectiveness. Now you might wonder, wonderful, but what does that have to do with artificial intelligence or sustainability? So let's say people have all this internet of things data, then more and more they wish to apply artificial intelligence to it. So there's an intersection which is very interesting. And the question is, how can they do it ethically, unbiased? And also when it comes to sustainability, real world data can help people come up, Internet of Things data, can people come up with sustainable solutions? It's an input into sustainability solutions. And of course, the art that everybody's aspiring to is how can you be sustainable? And as you mentioned, Bonnie, profitable at the same time and of course, ethical. So that makes it a wonderful intersection and a good topic for discussion and debate. Thank you, Elvira. It is a packed topic. And as I said in the beginning, I think we could talk for hours about this because AI in itself is a topic of interest. Ethics, digital ethics, it, it, we don't know it, but we need to think about it. People need to think about it. You just don't use technology without thinking about the impact and who created it and what does it do for people around the world. Sustainability, circular economy is a whole area of study that is so important. So we, we have a lot to talk about. Thank you all. This is the part of the show where I have asked my panelists in advance to send me a quote from a book, a movie, a song, a person famous, not well, about to be famous because they're here on Game Changers Radio. And uh, then they're going to relate the quote in their own words to our topic today. And let me see if I've even said the topic. The topic, I, yes, manufacturing of the future. If you're just tuning in, this is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers Radio. We're in the 2020 season. This is episode eight. This show has been around for five years and we're so happy to have them keep renewing year after year. And the topic is manufacturing of the future, the central role of sustainability AI and ethics, really, really important topic. And my special guests are LJ Sue at ABI Research, Georg Kuba at SAP, and Elvira Wallace at SAP. So here's the quote that LJ has sent me before the show, and it's from the book called The Art and Illusion by Sir E.H. Gombrich. He's an art historian and author, cultural history and art history. Uh, his full name is Sir Ernst Hans Joseph Gombrich. He has a lot of letters. I don't know what these mean, but O-M-C-B-E-F-B-A. He lived from 1909 to 2001. And uh, he was the author of many works, as I said, of cultural history and art history. And this book that this quote is from is considered a classic, a meeting ground between science and the humanities. So here's the quote. Listen up. This is a beautiful quote, LJ. Anyone who can handle a needle convincingly can make us see a thread which is not there. LJ, talk to me about what this means to our topic. It's a beautiful quote. Go ahead, please. Yeah, sure. I appreciate it. Um, so this is a really great quote from one of the best art historians. I mean, personally, I kind of felt like this quote doesn't just apply to arts. Um, it also applies to, I think, the topic of that we are discussing today, basically just scientific discovery in general, because humans are such an intelligent um, 
being that uh, we tend often to focus on the promises behind all these scientific discovery, be it mm-hmm. a su- su- sustainable manufacturing method or AI or, or robotics or automation in general. And then we tend to further extrapolate what we see behind all these possibilities and potentials. But often we tend to ignore um, the pros and cons that comes with it. So I think the, the topics that we are having today um, about sustainability, AIs and ethics is an indicative of um, the needs to not just see the threat that is not there, but also sort of to, to prepare us for a deeper dialogue on where this will lead us to. So what are, these, what are the responsibility and the possibility that we should be expecting, we should be preparing for and, um, and what are the ways that we can overcome that? So um, in, in short, um, essentially the, the imagination of, of human when it comes to scientific discovery shouldn't be just uh, based on the benefits or the uh, e- economic potential, but we should also see the consequences, the social impact, and perhaps what, what we can do to overcome that. So, that's sort of how I interpret this. Thank you. I, I love the quote. It's a beautiful quote, and it just makes you think about so many things. We could do a show on that quote, but we won't. Thank you very much, <laughs> LJ. Let me go to Georg. Georg sent a quote from James Bond. Da, 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 da. I'm not going to sing the theme song, but I just, it, it's exciting. This is the day, back in the day when Sean Connery played James Bond. The film was 1965's Thunderball, a spy film. It was the fourth in the James Bond series produced by Eon Production, starring Sean Connery is the fictional M16 agent James Bond. What's interesting about this, Georg, is that the movie would have been the first one in the Bond series, but there were legal disputes over the copyright issues because it was an adaptation of a novel from 1961 and somebody else wrote the original story the novel was based on and they got tied up in court for a couple of years. Here's the quote, one, two, three, four words. We love short quotes as well. Georg, you have to explain this one to me. Can't win them all. <laughs> I am, I'm lost in this. Talk to me about how this applies to our topic. Georg, go ahead. So obviously you didn't explain in which scene that actually happens because no. it was quite a, a non-important scene. He basically just you know, recognizes that he misjudged the character and that he didn't do the right thing. But to me, this quote, can't win them all, talks about focus. You know, we're in this world and we're, we're, we're trying to do so many things and it has to be efficient and it has to be effective and it has to be ethical and it has to be sustainable. You have to do all these things. And, and we're sometimes in a situation where this is just getting too much. So I use this in many cases for myself and also for my team to just say, hey, guys, you cannot win them all, mm-hmm. but you've got to win the right games. You've got to focus on the right things, right? That's a little addition that I do for myself. So to me, can't win them all is a little bit of a joyful way to remind ourselves that uh, you know, don't try to do too many things. Focus on what's important. Focus on what is really going to make a change. And I think the, you know, the, the, the relevance for this topic is obvious because maybe we're at a point where we have to say, well, maybe we cannot be growing at 10% every year and maybe we cannot continue to exploit the resources that we have, but we got to win those games which are really important. And that is saving our planet, be sustainable, and and move business in a different direction so that's what it means to me 
But I do agree it's a little far-fetched. I like him far-fetched. No, it's not far-fetched at all. And it makes me think of the, the words, um, pick your battles, Georg. Pick your exactly. battles, right? Can't yeah. win them all. Yeah. It's yeah. another short word that begins with P, a couple of syllables, prioritize, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. And then there's another one comes to mind. Uh, this came into being a couple of years ago with the advent of design thinking. Um, fail fast, fail often, right? And some very also famous yeah. famous people <clears throat> have said, um, it's okay to fail and it's okay to fail fast as long as you learn from each failure and do yeah, something agreed. different and don't keep repeating. We all know. So it's a wonderful quote, Georg. You can't apologize for that one. I like it. And I didn't find, when I looked it up, I didn't find that scene and I'm going to go, great movies. Thank you. <laughs> and by the way, did you know Sean Connery turned 90 last week? Yeah. 90. So he must have done something right, right? He did a lot of things right. Let's leave it at that. And now we go to Elvira, and we have an extremely serious quote here. She has picked a quote from Immanuel Kant, 1724 to 1804, German philosopher, one of the central enlightenment thinkers, okay? And here's the quote, and I'm going to let you explain this. Act only according to that maxim, whereby you can at the same time will that it should become a universal law, also known as live your life as though your every act were to become a universal law. I'm looking at discussion statements. Uh, LJ, let's start with your statement number one, and then we'll pick it up back. We will insert Elvira's quote when she gets back to us. So LJ says, the discussion about AI ethics is still in an early stage in manufacturing, but it's shaping up to become one of the most important topics as AI in the manufacturing sector is currently limited to day-to-day, -day, but as it becomes more powerful and starts to replace humans in tasks, these AI models and their developers or system integrators should be subjected to a similar set of governance that governs human employees. Wow, LJ, big statement. Why don't you unpack it for us? Yeah, sure. Um, I think one of the um, discussion that we often have when it comes to implementing AI in, in I mean, all across different landscapes that uh, AI is the primary technology that drive automation and it while it's doing that, it will obviously, I mean, a lot of people will say it, it displaces a human worker, but the way I see it is it actually augments human worker. But regardless of which side of the fence you are on, um, the it's essentially playing a role in the entire workflow. And I think with the current technology that we are seeing right now from a lot of the vendors, AI is still very much a black box you can't really decipher what's going on inside the box itself unless you are the uh, system integrator. But even so, there is very, very different sort of, um, there, there, there are different ways to, to sort of um, understand how AI is being, an AI algorithm is being trained, how the data is being collected, and at the end of the day, how is it being implemented? So to sort of, um, um, go back to my point where we kind of need to have a standardized governance framework to govern AI is to say that we as an industry probably need a standardized way to, to look into AI implementation and to sort of remove all the ambiguity and uncertainty around that AI algorithm and then sort of essentially um, have everyone to agree upon a standard that we can evaluate the, the implementation of AI such that then it removes a lot of the arguments and perhaps the negative perception that we generally get around AI. And, and I think that is a, 
it, that is going to be the, the, the main driver to push the adoption of AI in, um, in the industry, because now everyone has a standard to rally around. I, you can obviously agree or disagree with it, and then we can obviously improve upon it. But at least there is something that is universal, that is acceptable, and um, there is something that people are comfortable Thank you. Interesting, the idea of comfort. Elvira, we have you on the phone. Georg, before I go to you for remarks, this happens to be a very good fit for Elvira's quote from Immanuel Kant. And I think <laughs> I'm going to let it just because yeah. LJ was talking about universal laws, governance, adoption. I'm thinking this is a great fit for the quote. So Elvira, thank you for calling back in. We're so happy this is going to work. And why don't you explain your quote? I'll give you the quote again. Act only according to that maxim whereby you can at the same time will that it should be a universal law. Easy version is live your life as though your every act were to become a universal law. So Elvira, explain this now in our context, and then I'll get Georg's comments. Go ahead, Elvira. So I came across this quote this summer when I looked at a newspaper that was discussing people's reaction to the pandemic. And I believe it also applies to AI, sustainability, and ethics. And the point of the quote is, the actions of every person matters. Don't self-devalue and say, oh, there's 7 billion people. My actions are irrelevant in the big sea of people. No, when it comes to ethics and when it comes to sustainability and artificial intelligence, so the hypothesis, everybody's actions matter. There is no self-devaluing. There is no, my part does not matter. And I believe this is a very interesting hypothesis. Elvira, it matters in going back to AI in the beginning, and I mentioned algorithms, somebody is tasked with developing something that has far-reaching impact. And we don't often think about the bias of the human being who did it. So what you said is so true for, for the algorithms that are basically we're living with them, right? They're going to control a lot of what we do. Uh, so any comments on the ethics of AI algorithm development in terms of universal impact, Elvira? I do think that clearly, um, you know, we all go in with our own experience, with our own history, with our own biases, whether we're cognizant about them or whether we're ignorant about them. And so I believe um, a diverse look at these algorithms matters. And also going back to some of the algorithms that were maybe written 10, 20, 30 years ago and asking ourselves now, with what mindset were they written and why do they produce the results they produce? Um, I think there have been countless examples in the public about such cases, and they prove that uh, algorithms are neutral. It's not just math. Math has a point of view. Thank you. Georg, I know you want to comment on what uh, LJ shared in his statement and also what Ilvera said. So this is a, you get to impact both statements. Go ahead, Georg. Yeah, and actually they both fit. I, I was thinking... Yep. When we say that the algorithms have to be monitored and they have to be, you know, how they are basically making those decisions, then obviously the decision has to have an ethical impact. So when I think about manufacturing and we have an AI algorithm that optimizes the performance of a, of a tooling machine, right? The whatever, the advancement of a tool so that the surface of the workpiece becomes optimal, that doesn't really have an ethical dimension. But when it comes to the products that we're manufacturing, then that is a completely different story. I mean, think about the, the, the cars, right? Cars that are out there that are equipped with AI. Now, is that AI in manufacturing or is it AI manufactured in? Probably is a moot point, but 
that suddenly has a very, very big ethical dimension. And I could also see this for other products that we put in the marketplace and that, that act autonomously, seemingly autonomously based on AI. And, and those actions could be very, very ethically relevant. And I only want to use the example of, you know, the car in traffic that has to make a decision between running over a pedestrian or running into a wall and killing the people in the car, right? That's this old dimension. And, and I think we just need to find those ethical dimensions in many of the questions that we're answering every day. Thank you. Good perspective there. I think we've gone around on that one. LJ, thank you for a good starter statement. Georg, I'm looking at your statement number two. I think this is where I want to go next because it's getting back to the issue of sustainability. We've got a big combined topic. So Georg's statement is there will be a point in the not so distant future where every product on a supermarket shelf will have to have, listen up, a reliable statement about its CO2 footprint. Georg, please expand this. Where would the statement be? Is it going to be on the shelf for all of the mustard products and all of the ham, packaged ham products and all of the baked bean products? Or is it going to be a part of the label? And will, will people actually read it? Why will it be there? Go ahead. Well, uh, I would. So okay. I'm, I'm actually very close to this because, A, obviously I, I, I shop, not every day, but I do shop occasionally for groceries. And I also get to work with companies who are in the packaging industry, right? So if you look at your shelf of, say, milk and dairy products, then these are packaged by one of my customers. If you look into many of the, the new products like rice or noodles or whatever it is, then they are made by machines from one of my customers. And so they get to listen to their customers, to the guys that make the food. And for them, that's a very, very real requirement because they have to compete. And how do you compete today? Let's say if you are producing dairy products, there is an element of price and then there is an element of sustainability and ecological and, you know, like whatever, biologically produced. And this is where this whole CO2 comes into play because company, customers will want to make a decision not only um, based on whatever, is that is that good milk or bad milk? Because they're all kind of good, but they want to make a decision based on, am I supporting a low CO2 footprint or am I not doing this? And, and I see this being part of the individual carton of the individual product. So if you have the shelf with cartons of milk, there will be some that maybe have a value of 12 and others will have a value of 18 and the next one will have a value of five. And then I'm very certain that I would pick the one within reason that has the lowest value. So I'm going to see this happening as a requirement, just like you have to put on the calories and you have to put on other ingredients uh, in our attempt to make, to, to reduce the CO2 footprint. Absolutely fascinating. Yes. And, and we all know about the advent of blockchain in the provenance of food, right, Georg? And yeah. who caught the fish, who packed it on ice? What yeah, yeah. boat was it put on? What freezer was it put in? What truck brought it to the supermarket? Who handled it? And what do people want to know about the source of their food and now CO foot, CO2 footprint? Georg, yeah. And maybe I can add one to this, another example, because it is so unintuitive, right? You would think that, oh, this seems to be coming from a local producer, so it must be better. There is this old story about apples from New Zealand versus apple from Lake Constance in Germany, right? So Lake Constance is like 100 kilometers away from where I live, and New Zealand obviously is a lot further away. So now you would say that probably the CO2 footprint from apples from New Zealand is worse than the one from Lake Constance, right? That would be the intuitive thing to say. Mm -hmm. But depending on the time of year when you consume those apples, 
the one in Constance have been, you know, kept cool in a, in a, in a warehouse for many months, which eats up much more energy than the short flight over from New Zealand. Mm. And, and by actually pointing out on the individual product, what was the CO2 footprint imposed during production, during transportation, yeah. during storage, you could make those decisions a lot better. And then actually it's the ethical thing to buy the apples from New Zealand and not the ones from Lake Constance, even though it seems to be closer. That's just one of those things because you can't make those decisions intuitively anymore. Very interesting. Elvira Wallace, love to have your comments on this. Go ahead. Well, I do agree with um, with Georg that um, there are conscious shoppers. I would say, without you know assessing or judging it, it depends on the type of product. People probably care a whole lot about baby formula and how it's been produced and whether it's sustainable and what are the ingredients than some other products that are maybe less close to them emotionally. So there is certainly a variation how much people care about the ecological footprint of the type of product. And also there is a type of shopper. Not all shoppers are equal, right? Some people care about the footprint. Some people care primarily about price. There is also a regional flavor. Um, In some parts, in some regions, people do care more. And in others, there are other aspects of shopping that matter more. So while we all welcome um, the information, and it really is as Georg said, it's the information about the product. Just to say shop local doesn't necessarily mean you shop sustainably. Um, mm-hmm. It matters, but it doesn't matter equally everywhere and for everyone and for every product. Yeah, Thank that's you. true. I've got a I gardener agree. outside my window pruning my trees, and it's very loud, so I'm on mute. But let's get LJ to comment on this topic of CO2 sustainability. Go ahead, LJ. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, it, I, I think it's very interesting if we kind of see sustainability um, from a competitive advantage angle. Like, I, I think as um, the, the, the producer themselves becomes more and more transparent with their CO2 footprint, with their traceability of, of food source, I think eventually we'll, we'll see a segment of the market where they they, they will view themselves um, as being very, very sustainable and use that sustainability as a, as a core advantage in their marketing or their, their pricing. But I think coming back to um, my role as an analyst at the end of the day, as a tech analyst at the end of the day, I, I often try to see this from a perspective of te- technology. And I think there are a lot of uh, interesting technology right now that can um, help with the, um, the, the advancement of sustainability, uh, particularly in manufacturing, we are looking at additive manufacturing, generative design, and we could also use AI to sort of come up with a new combination of uh, chemicals or um, uh, uh, physical properties of, of certain elements to, to, to come up with more sustainable product designs or, or more sustainable in- ingredients for, for, for a particular product. So, so I think that is where um, new materials and new technologies are pushing the limits and boundaries of uh, sustainability. And hopefully in the near term, we can bring down the cost low enough such that uh, it will become a global practice instead of just a niche um, mm. consumer focus. Thank you very much. Very interesting conversation. Let's move on. Anybody have anything else to say about that, Georg? That was very interesting 
Do you really think people are going to adopt looking at those labels? How many labels can we read? That's, I guess, the question is, how much can we read when we go to the market? Or here's another option. If a lot of us are buying our groceries, we're shopping online through whatever service, uh, or you have somebody else doing it. Does anybody have Instacart? Do you have Instacart where you are, Elvira? Nope. Or when I go to the supermarket, very often I see uh, – people with a, a blue t-shirt that says Instacart. And these are shoppers who have a list from somebody of doing the shopping for them. And the question is, if you are outsourcing your personal shopping in this day of COVID, a lot of people don't want to go to the grocery store. So you pay the service and they come with a list and they have some of them have green shirts and blue shirts. They're all over the supermarket, especially on Sunday mornings when I shop. And the question is, if you want only type of sustainability in your products, do you do the research first and tell them only buy this brand. Georg, interesting question. You do it first online with what the options are, and then you tell them only buy this brand of, let's say, baked beans because I have read the label, and you tell them if they're going to buy something else. If that product is not available, they have to call you or text you by cell phone from the grocery store to tell you they can't fulfill that part of your order. Any quick comment on that, Georg? Well, we don't have that service. I'd love to have that service, but we don't. I actually think it's more of a, you, you make this decision really quick. You stand in front of these things and you look at the labels, you look at the graphics, and it has to stick out. It has to be like a primary buying decision, like price, like eco, and maybe like whatever, something else. Th that's at least my take. And then the next thing, of course, is when will we tax on CO2, right? So there is an, there's a competitive angle of reaching more customers, but then there's also the angle of, CO2 taxation, and then we will have to very clearly be able to say which product is has what footprint so that the roll-up that the company has to pay is going to be clear. Thank you. Interesting comments all the way around. Didn't expect that on the show, but thank you. Elvira, I'm looking at your statement number one because you have an interesting use case here. So let me read a little bit. You say, sustainability is taking a central role in today's economy. Technology trends like IoT, Internet of Things, can help companies achieve a competitive advantage with sustainability. Interesting point. Sensor and usage data captured in real time make it possible for manufacturers to monitor usage end-to-end -end during production. And you have a great example here. So, Elvira, I'm going to let you take over. And you can hold your speaker a little bit farther away from your mouth so we get a little less of the phone crackle there. Go ahead, Elvira. You're up. Yeah, so the example I brought along is um, Gerolsteiner. They produce water and they produce mineral water, right? So they are very interested in intelligent resource efficiency, meaning what is their resource if you're a water producer? Well, it's water and it's mineral water. And so they want to make sure they get just the right amount of water from the right spring to bottle their 2 million bottles of water a day. So no wasting of water. And with that, um, it is, on the one hand, making sure you avoid waste. And on the other hand, it does, of course, contribute to their margin. It does, of course, uh, contribute to profitability. This is a case where sustainability, acting responsibly, and making it profitable goes together. And it happens to be, going back to the point Georg made earlier, consumers certain segments of products like mineral water, they do care. So you also make the product, in this case, the water mm -hmm. of Gehlersteiner more attractive by letting people know that you've sourced with responsible methods and use just the amount of water that is appropriate for the bottle and 
haven't wasted unless you really had to. So this is a great case where Internet of Things data about how much water have I consumed, real-world data, helps making good business decisions and at the same time avoids waste. And there are countless other examples where the real material flow in manufacturing and the real usage of certain materials helps contribute making the manufacturing more efficient and the consumers of the products that happen to be the outcome benefit from it because you can also share that with your consumers Mm. and they like to buy such products. Interesting. So we're talking about raising the level of awareness of the consumers around the world of, of whatever the products are that a company cares, right? That a company is using technology in ethical way to be more efficient, to be more cognizant of the resources we have in terms of what they're taking out of the earth and what they're putting into the product and how they want consumers. So it sounds like a whole awareness campaign is needed to let people know our company cares about Georg, about your children and your your grandchildren. Our company cares, and you should buy from us because of that. Interesting, Elvira. Any comments about that? The idea, and and also it it takes a leadership, a strong leadership, doesn't it, to say our company will start doing the extra work. We will invest in these sensors. We will invest in the concept that we will be ethical and sustainable, and we want the world to know which where which is where it becomes a competitive edge, right? Where companies know our company's doing good for the world. You might want to think about buying from us instead of the other one. So Elvira, any comments about that before I go around the table? I would say there are two comments. Why do enterprises behave the way they behave? And there are many reasons why, but two of them are, is there consumer demand? In other words, if consumers care about the origin and the way products were produced, companies will respond. That is one incentive for companies. The other one is, of course, does the behavior in terms of sustainable behavior matter for the bottom line or for the top line? Bottom line meaning savings, top line again, selling more because consumers want it. And these are two powerful incentives. And we see in certain segments of products in certain parts of the world, consumer behaviors change. And we see also the price of resources change. So that gives ample incentive for enterprises to behave in a more sustainable way. Thank you. Good points. LJ, you're up. Comments on the wonderful statement that Elvira shared with us. Good good ideas. LJ? Yeah, I think what Elvira has mentioned was also very, very exciting from a technology standpoint, because at the end of the day, you you can't report what you doesn't what what you don't track. So having like IoT sensors and, and sort of all these different metrics during the production process and being able to know how much coming in, how much that, that, that went out and how you limit the wastage is obviously driving the bottom line as what Alvera was saying, um, that drive saving. But I think when it comes to the, the marketing push, you can actually tell the consumer the exact amount of, let's say, CO2 footprint that, that you save or, or sort of the, 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 the utilization rate of all your equipment and, and factories. And I think having that um, uh, data-driven marketing message um, is something that the market generally likes. And ultimately, it helps. Uh, I think go, coming back to, to Bonnie's point, um, help with data-driven decision-making at the top level as well. Um, 
you are able to let's say push certain um, uh, uh, sort of sustainability focus campaign or sustainability focus um, product line in the future to sort of uh, and, and use that data as a, as a backup as, as something that you can present to the uh, senior management and, and gain their re recognition to do to, to, to do something extra moving forward and I think that is something that we are seeing in um, in a lot of the emerging technologies that that we track whereby um, a lot of the internal uh, stakeholders they are using sort of like a, a very data heavy uh, metrics to evaluate the efficiency of their solution and thereby gain the trust of their senior management to implement them Thank you. Georg, you're up. Thoughts about this sustainability issue and using the resources. Go ahead. Once we accept the fact that buying decisions and general business decisions will be made based on sustainable thinking, then that obviously has to be underpinned with data, which comes from technologies like IoT and all kind of connectivity. So yeah, totally agree. Thank you very much. Let me go back to LJ. I'm looking for some more statements here. We've got so much to talk about. LJ, I'm looking at your, um, let's do this one. We did carbon footprint already. Um, let's go to statement number three, ways to ensure sustainability and AI ethics. You say ethical data acquisition and processing procedures an explainable or transparent AI model, global sustainability AI governments, governance framework for industrial manufacturing. Let's talk about the perspective of, we've been talking about consumer products for a little bit while. Let's, let's go bring it back to industrial manufacturing where it would not be as obvious to the public, shall we say. It's something that happens in the industrial sector. Uh, would it be more visible and available as a competitive edge in the industry only and people wouldn't know the products that come down the line that we might end up using a component in a car or a, a piece of a bicycle or or a, a building material we wouldn't know that it came from a sustainable so let's cover this a little bit more depth lj from the industrial manufacturing side go ahead please yeah and at, um, at the end of the day i, I, I think they are sort of ultimately three major ways in terms of how we implement let's say a new concept in either manufacturing process or even just in our day-to-day -day life. I think this applies um, to both sustainability as well as AI. I think the first thing is basically how we acquire those um, materials in terms of sustainability discussion or the, the data uh, for, for AI algorithm because that is sort of the first way that we can enforce uh, sustainability or AI ethics is to make sure that the acquisition process is being done in a transparent or an ethical manner or an unbiased manner as what Vera was mentioned earlier. I think that's one way. So that's at the, I guess, the prelude or the, the initial stage. Once we move on from the initial stage, because there are instances where that may not be uh, possible or it's still very in a very early stage, the next thing that we can do is to ensure that when we are implementing this technology or, or, or this concept, it's being done in a transparent manner. So in terms of AI algorithm, you kind of have to make sure that either the AI algorithm that, that you are using can be explained after you use it, or it's something that can explain itself. Um, it, it's still a very new concept. It's still a very new technology that, uh, that I think the market is still trying out. 
but we are seeing AI algorithm that, that has been developed in, in such a manner that it is able to explain its own uh, weaknesses and, and biases, uh, also just to explain the outcome. Uh, well, how, how does it come up with this result? What are the potential pitfalls, um, et cetera, et cetera. And if we can't, it, it, let, let, let's say if we can't even do that, so the first two steps are, are, are really untouchable, then at least the third one is something that, that we can rely on. It's sort of like a global AI governance framework. So that can be applied to, I think, in, we, we are seeing them coming out in the automotive industry, and we will be seeing them, I think, across different industries as well, whereby um, industrial associations, vendors, system integrators, all coming together and all agree on a set of um, either an SOPs or, or sort of um, um, laws and regulations that um, applies to everyone. And it, like I said earlier, it removes ambiguity. It, it creates certain level of trust between the consumer uh, the end consumer at the, at the end of the day and the manufacturers and the producers. And that creates sort of, a, uh, a, like I said, a, a acceptance across the board. And mm -hmm. people will, at the end of the day, um, be, I guess, have more trust in the system. And that's what we want at the end of the day, right? So. You. Interesting. Georg, you're up next. I think I saw you raising your hand. What do you want to say? Talk to me. Yeah, I got hung up on the term, you know, like everyone. So this is how everyone will behave or how it's going to work for everyone. I don't know if you're aware of this uh, project that was run and had a survey with it that was called the Moral Machine. I think it was run by MIT. And it basically, it was a survey, a global survey on how people would like autonomous cars to behave. So there were hundreds of thousands of people that were, were run through questionnaires. And basically, it was always the question, one evil versus the other evil, right? run over children versus run, run over elderly people, run over animals versus run over, I mean, it was all these brutal questions like this. But what that thing did was it produced like a set of ethical rules that groups of people thought should be applied to autonomous automobiles. And the interesting thing was these were different by geographies and these were different by age groups. And these were also different by other uh, by other, you know, discriminating factors of the of the uh, population. So what that means to me is that there will not be one single set of rules. If you are going to sell a car into China, you will have to give it a different algorithm than when you sell it into Western Europe or into the U.S. And that's going to be really interesting. Georg, I looked it up. It's moralmachine.net, and it was the MIT labs. Thank you very much. And yep. uh, very, very interesting. Welcome to the Moral Machine, a platform for gathering a human perspective on moral decisions made by machine intelligence, such as self-driving cars. We show you moral dilemmas where a driverless car must choose the lesser of two evils. And we've talked about that. As an observer, you judge which outcome you think is more acceptable. You then see how your responses compare with those of other people. If you're feeling creative, you can also design your own scenarios for you and other users to browse, share, and discuss. It was the MIT Media Lab in collaboration with Scalable Cooperation and MIT. Thank you. Let's go around. Uh, thank you, Georg. Elvira, thoughts? I think it brings up an interesting perspective, namely, what is ethics and is ethics the same for everybody or is it um, influenced by region, age, gender, culture and so forth? And I think 
both the examples from the consuming world as well as the answers from the manufacturing world, like in or the answer here specifically on, on fleet, um, show us there is no the universal truth. There are true isn'ts and they're in plural. So there are flavors of it, what we deem as moral behavior. And I think the same then applies also to um, the consumers and, by the way, the manufacturers of the various uh, materials and, and products. There are flavors to it. And if you take that into another realm um, that is closely related to artificial intelligence and ethics, you arrive very quickly at topics around security and data privacy and data residency. And there are the reasons why the security laws around artificial intelligence around the world do greatly differ, exactly to express these regional differences. Very interesting. Yes, regional, cultural, all kinds of backgrounds of who, who are we, where do we come from, where do we want to go, how do we work together as global communities, as local communities, what do we want, right, Georg, what do we want, what do we expect, but you know what, we're at the crystal ball predictions round, we're almost out of time, so you can use the answer to that question as your prediction if you want, what do we expect, how much do we work together, where do we want to see manufacturing go, where do we want to see consumer products go, what do we want for our planet? What do we want for our culture? What do we want for our, the people who make things for our lives? LJ, predictions, a tight 60 seconds, go. Yeah, I think by 2025, um, we will be looking at a lot more industry coming out with their own either AI governance framework or sustainability governance framework. I think that is something that in, at the top of the mind of a lot of senior management and based on what, what I have gathered from all the panelists today, it seems to be a very hot topic and, and I think that is my prediction for, for this round. Thank you very much, nice and concise. Monsieur Georg, you're up, 60 seconds. What have you got to say? What do you see in the crystal ball? Go ahead. Well, I'm going to repeat myself. I think in the not so distant future, we will see all types of products and processes having a CO2 and other sustainability tags on it. And the powers of the consumer will drive behavior, not only with CP companies, but all the way up to the manufacturers of the equipment that these CP companies use and to the, into the supply chain of products and so on. So I'm going to be positive and think that this is going to impact our CO2 footprint from an ecological and economical perspective. Thank you very much. And Elvira Wallace, you're up. And Elvira, I have to tell you, they were so concise. You can have 75 seconds. I'm giving you 15 second bonus. Go ahead. All right. My prediction will be that by 2023, we see significantly more edge processing. Now, you might ask, what does that have to do with artificial intelligence and ethics? Well, with the onset of edge computing, we will see artificial intelligence at the edge. And with that, we will see more regulation, more thinking about ethical behavior, data privacy, security, and data residency at the edge as it pertains to artificial intelligence. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Thank you to all of you. This has been a, it was a huge topic, huge topic. And uh, I think it takes hours and hours to cover this. Thank you, Georg, for introducing me to the moral machine. I did not know it existed. The idea of being able to put dilemmas and scenarios out there and have people respond. 
And I don't know if it's a question of comparing how you think and how you feel and what matters to other people, but hearing their perspectives and taking them in what matters to me. We all operate on that basis every day, right? How do our neighbors live and how do our communities live and what, what's in the grocery store and how do we raise our children and where do they go to school and what do we say to our teachers about how they're guiding the future citizens of the world? So AI, ethics, sustainability, governance, worldview, very, very important topic. I have a shout out, of course, to Deborah Petrera at AI, ABI Research. Thank you, Deborah. She's here waiting in the wings to talk to us about the show. Thank you for supporting LJ coming on as a newcomer to Game Changers. Thank you to Judy Kubis and Ashwin Manapali as well for sponsoring the series. Very interesting. We've certainly expanded the purview of this topic, which used to be the future of cars, Judy, but we did talk about cars a lot today. Yes, we did. And thank you to Aaron Kelly our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel team. Thank you for letting us get Elvira on the phone so we could keep her words of wisdom flowing on the show. This is live and that's that's live broadcasting. Those are the fun parts of it. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I want to thank all of you. And here I have a call to action. And I will tell you, I start off always by saying fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? But I'll tell you, I'm now getting two months to the gallon in my little sports car because I don't drive anywhere. One grocery store <laughs> a week and one drum lesson a week. And that's all. So I hope you're doing as well. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Everybody wave. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.